Welcome back for another episode of the AWG Podcast, where we discuss the biggest topics and trends in the water sport and boat tour industry. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and join our mailing list by visiting watersportpodcast.com. After you finish listening, continue the conversation in our Facebook group, Watersport and Boat Tour Operators. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. They come to relax. Enjoy the beach. Have fun and spend money. And that's where we come in. This is the Awkward Water Sport Guys podcast. Find out tips on the best ways to market and operate a water sports business. If you're a water sports operator, you need to grow your brand, operate more safely, upgrade your operations, and of course, increase bookings. We're industry veterans broadcasting from Destin, Florida. This is the Awkward Water Sport Guys podcast. And this is Kevin O'Neill and Greg Fisher. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Awkward Water Sports Guy podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to Tim Murphy from Boomers Park. Boomers Park owns the Big Hoonahs Water Park right here in Destin, Florida, where we broadcast. They also own several different uh, FECs and water parks across the U.S. FECs are family entertainment centers, if you don't know these these acronyms. This is one of the more uh, higher level discussions I think we've had in the past 20-something episodes. I mean, we're going to be talking about acquiring businesses and what you're looking for, how to deal with it once you acquire financing options. I mean, there's some really high level things, but you learn the most when you look at the companies that are are bigger than yours. Like for example, like Kevin and I always talk about how great Disney is, the things that they do and what we should be taking from those big corporations. They got really solid processes in place. Their branding is on par. I mean, so many things to take. And so when you listen to guys like Tim, uh, he can kind of drill down on, on these things that we should be caring about. Just because you have a five-person company, you should be caring about your brand because brand brings customers back. And if you're looking to acquire a company, you have to look at you know what what are the things that I need to know about before acquiring my competitor down the way. Do I consolidate them into my current brand? Do I keep operating them as the current company because they have some brand recognition and a customer base? There's a lot of things to think about. And I, I, what Tim is going to kind of break it down for us today, open up our minds to these different ideas. Yeah, man. You know, I, 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 I attribute most of my success that I've had so far and my my limited experience in business uh, to the fact that I read a lot of smart people. Like I read a ton of business biographies and you might not think that, you know, like uh, Tim Cook or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or any of these brilliant guys that build these huge companies have like not a, there's nothing that they're doing that has any thing to do with what you're doing in, in your small business or your brick and mortar. That's some but you have to understand, you have to be able to pull things from these guys. You have to be able to pull some maybe broad general ideas from these massive companies. Because at the end of the day, even though it is a lifestyle business, uh, it's you still want to be profitable. You still want to make money. You don't want to be 75 years old running a boat, or maybe you do. I, I don't know. But if, if your goal 
is to grow your company, if your goal is to make more money, you have to adopt uh, some of these ideas and and listen to guys like Tim Murphy because he's a hell of a lot smarter than most of us water sport operators. But it's like everything we talk about in every episode. None of this shit is like stuff that we just made up. Me and Greg weren't sitting in a kitchen somewhere and like concocted the idea of upsells or concocted the idea of brand versus commodity. These are things that every major player does to increase their profit margin. And, you know, we've talked to Tim about where he drew some of his inspiration because same, he's not sitting there going like, hmm, no, he's watching what the biggest companies on the planet are doing to streamline their processes, to make their companies more profitable and to be more effective and to provide a lot of value and great service and a great product to their customer base. And at the, at the very base of everything, that it is how we operate. That is what we should be doing, keeping that forefront of mind as always. All right, Kevin, how we get to the interview? All right, let's get awkward. Hey, everyone, welcome back. I'd like to give a big awkward water sport, guys. Welcome to Tim Murphy, CEO of Boomers Parks. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me. Tim, take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and how you became the CEO at Boomers Parks. Sure, sure. Um, really, I think it kind of, <laughs> I use this a, a lot, but I go back to my uh, growing up in New Jersey. Uh, my parents had a small miniature golf arcade and, and restaurant. Fast forward a little bit, I worked for Disney for about six and a half years, been in the restaurant entertainment industry for better part of 35 years. I uh, was CEO for Rebounders, uh, Family Entertainment Centers, Trampoline Parks, Ninja Warrior Courses, Arcades. I'm on the board of directors in South America. For Columbia, Peru, and Chile with 152 family entertainment centers and amusement parks. And uh, Cerberus Group reached out to me and said, hey, uh, unfortunately, we need to um, uh, potentially repossess parks um, at Apex Parks Group, and we'd like to buy them back. Would you take a look at what we've got? Give us your, give us your opinion before you make a decision. Gave him an opinion, said, I think we got a diamond in the rough. We just need to do something really well with them, uh, which hadn't taken place with the previous uh, group. And I took over in June of uh, 2000. As we mentioned previously, our topic today is about acquiring businesses. This topic is probably relevant to you because of your recent acquisition of Big Kahuna's Water Park in Destin. Many of our listeners are small business owners. A lot of them are presented with opportunities to buy their competitors, open up new locations, or even be bought themselves. I personally sold four businesses of my own. There was a huge learning curve to it all. I understand the acquisition of a large water park is not the same as acquiring a small lifestyle business, but I believe there are many similarities and strategies we can take from it. Walk us through why someone might consider acquiring a business compared to just starting something new? One could be brand name, uh, could be existing business revenue streams. Uh, I'm predominantly in my past and my career uh, as a CFO before becoming a CEO, really looking at the revenue streams. What What is the EBITDA multiple cash flow, if you will, instead of just EBITDA? Um, you know, what makes the most sense? That's where I focus most of my efforts in the past for companies that I've worked for or acquired. But it's really about existing business. And frankly, today, with what we've purchased with Boomers Parks, uh, including Big Kahunas and Dustin, um, we're looking at existing parks and how do we make them better? Because I think we've got the what we call our secret sauce or our special formula to go in and fix these parks and get them producing enough cash flow that makes the most sense. A lot of folks get into the business. Oh, yeah, well, I, I can just buy it and I can tweak it a little bit and do a little bit better. Yeah, but I really think you got to have a plan when you go in and buy a park. You've got to understand kind of what you're looking for and can you turn it? Can you really get the additional cash flow out of it? And that's how I look at parks is 
can we increase the cash flow from where where we're at? And that's lots of different ways of doing that. But um, uh, really, that's kind of my thought process versus just starting with a whole new business. So when you're buying these properties, are you looking, typically, are you looking for something that already has positive cash flow that that's making money? Or are you like trying to find something that's like, man, I could, I could steal this and, and, you know, we can market it and brand it and bring our, you know, like, are you looking for something that's... Well, I think you've got to also differentiate, to answer your question, I'll answer in just a moment, but I think you got to differentiate who you're working for or who's supplying the money for you. So working with a private equity firm, they're looking for existing cash flow and looking for something, even if it's a baseline that can grow, great, but they need to see positive cash flow before they move forward. That does not mean that we're not looking at something that maybe it could turn. Uh, point being with private equity, you need to really kind of prove your point. You know, hey, we're going to increase per caps, uh, per individual spend. We're going to increase attendance. We're going to increase different things. And if you can prove your point, they're behind you. They'll give you the funds that you're looking for. But you got to prove your point first. And we're proving it on the per caps increasing in our open mar our open parks. Uh, Big Kahuna is just about to reopen. We hope to implement the items we've done in the other parks, uh, but between two and fifteen dollars per person. So if we can prove our point. The answer is then we would look at some that might be already in a losing position that we could potentially go in, drop in what we know on how to increase revenue, drop in what we know how to bring costs in our line with labor and cost of goods sold and really focusing on a, on a cash flow that we believe uh, that will generate percent wise on each of the parks. So the answer is I look at all, but I also am realistic. Who's got the who's got the checkbook and going to write the check for us? Um, but once you prove your point, then there's a lot more opportunities all around that they're they're open to. They just want to get a comfort level with you first. Does that answer your question? It, it does. I mean, in your in your experience, and I know this is a really loaded question. It's probably a lot to unpack. But, <laughs> but uh, to simplify, to, to just sort of like simplify it, like how, like if you do have sort of like a bit of a of a stinker. I guess, you know, or something that needs a little like spit shine on it. <laughs> like what's the, that's the, what's that, what's the bath, what's the best path to that? Can you, is there, is there, what I mean to say, is there like one quantifier more than the most that's like, all right, this is how we can turn a corner on something that we could possibly steal. And it has a ton of potential, but you know, can you, is there, is it, is it like marketing? Is it customer service? Is it ride quality? Like how do you take something that even we don't even have to necessarily call it a stinker, but it's got like you can increase that positive cash flow. So what is the number one qualifier for you? And I know each park is, is different, but <laughs> as, a, as an, a universal average, maybe uh, the one thing that you can do to sort of turn that corner. Well, I, I never think there's one thing, but I'll give you three things. OK, so it depends on each of the locations, of course. Um, do I have the demographics already for that location? It makes the most sense. If I don't, what do I got to look at? And that comes into marketing. But really. I think three things. One, can I control the labor? Is the labor out of whack? Sometimes you go into, you'll see some opportunities where um, a company's trying to sell their business, but they've really cut labor. They've cut management. They've cut everything. They cut everything they can, but we're not stupid. You know, you, you've got to have a certain amount of labor that's got to run through there. But we also know people, a lot of parks are bad managers of labor. So labor is one component. Can I get that sucker down to about 30%? Sometimes I see them at 40, 50% labor. They're, you're right there, it's easy, you know, low-hanging fruit if we get if we get the right management running what they need to do. So labor. Occupancy. Can I go back and renegotiate the lease on occupancy? That is that is one area. Um, today, landlords are a little more open. 
Um, a lot of things happen during the pandemic, a lot of extra commercial real estate. I'm a commercial real estate broker in the state of Florida as well. So there's a lot of real estate out there that landlords are like, please just pay me something so that we'll keep going forward and we'll be willing to negotiate. Five years ago, they wouldn't have done that. So occupancy, number two. Number three, and it depends. It could be cost of goods sold in some markets or it could be um, the operating expenses, uh, the, the controllables, the um, supplies, the repairs and maintenance on the facilities. Some of it might just need a small little investment and can simmer down their, uh, their repairs. If it was cost of goods sold, and let's say it's food and beverage, I guarantee we probably got a lot of waste. We got a lot of things stolen from the park, potentially, uh, from, from the labor. Sometimes wrong labor, they're doing all kinds of things, and now they're taking things. You know, So they're trying to figure out how to remunerate themselves. So you can dig in pretty quick, but labor occupancy, and then it kind of separates, but in two areas. One is just how are they running it or is the cost of goods sold? As far as marketing is concerned, of course, you got to do marketing. But to me, that's just that's the next step. You know, once I've controlled those three kind of areas, then I think we've got a, a better opportunity to really kind of see what's underneath the hood, if you will. Tim, you mentioned uh, private equity firms, and a lot of the our listeners are probably looking you know, at their local bank for capital to acquire a competitor or a piece of property to start a business and whatever it might be. What are some things that if let's say you were going to uh, acquire a competitor and it's a small business, they're not going to go to a, a, a capital firm to do that. They're likely going to go to their local bank. But does it work pretty similar? Because we had a, a guest on the show, Chris Woodruff. He acquired um, a marina and he went to the bank and he told the bank about what he was he was doing. And it didn't seem that they went too heavy into his financials. They went into what the marina was producing. What it was it looks like they put a lot of emphasis on property in the in the marina itself rather than him as a professional. And it, is there any similarities there when it comes to local banks and and capital capital firms? Or are they looking at the same things? I think I think you got to look at it from a couple different points of view. One is it a local bank? They're looking to lend. Um, okay, you might have some more opportunity to deal with that banker. If it's more of a national bank or a regional bank, they've got certain rules and ramifications that they won't go any further. So local banks are a lot easier, a lot more flexible, and they wanna see industry take place in, in their market. Um, when you compare it to a PE firm, PE is, you know, they're, they're a little open, but it's based on cash flow. So you do have a little more flexibility with the banks. Um, you got a good story. Of course, they want to know a little bit about you. You know, can you really do what you say you're going to do? Are you really going to get that turnaround? Do you have a good business plan, idea, vision that you're going to do with it, with that business? Then I think you've got a better opportunity to to make it work. Um, again, it's flexibility, and it's good to always know all the banks. You know, I'm with a PE firm. I rely on my PE firm. I, I call it the and I don't mind saying my PE firm, I, I report to Cerberus. It's a private, you know, one of the larger private equity firms. And I call it the bank of Cerberus. You know, it's, I go back to them. So I don't have that problem where others do, but when they're looking at it, have you got the right vision of what you're going to do? I believe in my history in working with multiple banks and financing companies and venture firms over my career, it's just really being able to paint that story. If you can paint the story good and you've got a good solution and you've got someone that's local that wants to work with you and lend, lend some money, um, I think you can do what you need to do. But a lot of people give up on that first shot out. They go to their local bank. Maybe it's not their local bank. Maybe it's more of a regional bank. And they go, ah, oh, we got these rules and we're not going to do it. And they give up. 
you got to keep going. You got to keep asking, you know, if you're going to be going out. But I think with a good plan, people are willing to listen. I mean, I've raised everything from, you know, know, reg D financing to going to the bank to, you know, but for my purpose with larger acquisitions like we've done with, with the parks, PE makes a lot of sense. But for someone that's just trying to do one little one off, keep fine tuning it, keep talking to people in the industry. I mean, I'm still talking to people in the industry right now with all these parks. It's like I'm not just talking to local FECs or water parks. I'm talking to the big guys, Disney and Knoxbury and Six Flags and others. It's like, what are they doing so that I can figure it out? I'm trying to keep building that into my overall plan. How do I keep fine tuning it? I think you've got a great plan that you can you can raise the capital. What are the wrong things to say if you're looking to raise capital? If you're looking to go to a bank to acquire, what are the wrong things? Because I, I want to start there and then we'll go into the right things. Um, well, one is not knowing what you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I find a lot of people will start spinning out a plan. Oh, I got this great idea. We're, this is what we're going to do. It's like, yeah, but you think about this, that, and the other. Did you think about labor? Did you think about, you know, if it's in the in, in uh, entertainment world, you think thinking about... Which entertainment is just like a restaurant to me outside of, you know, you're, you've got you're selling time and experience, but you're not, um, you know, you, you, you've got less cost of goods sold. You know, when you got shine, the shiny, product. the shiny toy syndrome. Right. And they get so excited about it, but they forget about all the little things that are just right behind them. You, they, they, they need to be bouncing ideas and be open to listen to other people. I mean, I'm a consultant for many years prior to some of the stuff that I've done. And, you know, folks, they want that one thing. There's not just one thing you need to do. There's multiple things you got to do. But if you bring it all together, you'll have a good plan. So if you do that, um, lack of confidence. If you don't have confidence going into it, look, I don't. I have no problem giving my um, my, my thoughts and ideas, um, but I'm very confident about it. Uh, and I, I don't mean that in a you know negative or overreaching way. You got to have some confidence when you're talking about it, which also comes back to: Do you know what you're talking about? If you know what you're talking about, you'll be a lot more successful in persuading somebody because they don't always know what you're talking about. But if you can then get that across, but then know your numbers, know what types of cash flow, know what the industry's like, what, you know, your ex- example of the marina, what is a marina like? What is it going to throw off? You know, I know in a restaurant, when I was with restaurants before corporate GNA, it'd be five to 20% cash flow. Um, in this market, it varies, of course, depending on the market, but, you know, we're in the 20 to higher extremes, 40, 45% throw off. Part of that's because you're selling experience. You have less cost of goods sold in a lot of areas. You got repairs, maintenance and other supplies and expenses, but still it's a lot less. So you got to know where your market is and show why you're going to throw off this type of cash flow when they can understand that cash flow. But when people come to me and say, well, what do you think about this? And I go, oh, you're going to throw off 5%. Uh, your labor is at 50 um, in, in an FEC world or a water park world. You guys, what are you guys thinking? You know, this doesn't make sense. And so when I'm looking at potential acquisitions, you can kind of dig right through to it and go, there is an opportunity. Or they've been taking so much off the take for so long out of that location or running all their expenses, personal expenses through there. They don't understand that a, a sophisticated business will look right through that and say, we got to take that crap out. Excuse me. We got to take that stuff out. <laughs> you know? and, and we got to get back to what reality is. And this is where you need to go. And, and I just think, um, you know, there, there's those folks think they're trying to slide one underneath when really, if you haven't done your homework and you're not confident, 
you're not going to get to where you need to be. So a lot of guys that are listening are are, are potential first time business owners. Uh, some of you know are new business owners. I'm a, I'm a new business owner myself. Break down. Give us a definition of cash flow when you're speaking it as the most general term. Cash flow. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I'll and I'll, I'll kind of take this from a, an FEC point of view, if that's okay. Use that as an example. Yeah. Water park FEC. You know, it, very synonymous. And every and every demographic's different, but of course, you know. You've got to get the cash flow. You've got revenue, less labor. Labors should be in a restaurant or an FEC world or water park world, depending on hiring and so forth. Should be about thirty percent. Um, cost of goods sold different than a restaurant, about thirty percent. Or if you're in an FEC water park world, should be about twenty percent. You're going to have occupancy. Occupancy can vary. Um, some of that's because of history. You might be taking on some bad leases, but can vary from really low end, let's say 8% to, my goodness, 25%. And, and if it's above that, then you probably got a bad lease, definitely. You got a bad lease, it's probably above 10%, but still, you, you, you probably have a bad lease. So these components will work your way down. Then you've got some points here and there that might be supplies, repairs and maintenance. You've got some fixed costs, you know, that could be insurance, that could be credit card processing, it could be bank fees, different things of that nature. But you should be throwing off on an FEC, average FEC, 20 to 40%. Um, there's others that you know don't come close. Restaurants, as I shared a little earlier, are 5 to 20%. When I say throw off, that should be before you start paying back your debt or any corporate expenses you might have, like your own owner's expenses that might be going into it. Yeah. So so then then as your your interpreter's cash flow isn't not, not even necessarily profit, but possibly like working capital that you have you know, extra to move into your next year, whatever. Or, or buy, yeah, new other, because what's not included in there that a lot of folks forget about is you, you've got to put capital expenditures back in. You've got to fix things. Things break and on ACs go out in buildings. Uh, you know, you have the, the most recent uh, fryer you put or a fryer you've just inherited, bought a business and you got to replace it. Um, there's eight, 10 grand right there. You know, so you got to start looking at what's it throwing off and do I have enough capital to put back into those areas back to your point of working capital i think that's the the biggest issue with water sports or boat tours um is that a lot of folks do not put the money back into their business and when an engine goes down you know there's a major repair that needs to happen they're out for months well, case in point, like at, at Dustin at Big Kahuna's, you get pumps that go out, right? And yeah. some of the, some of those pumps, uh, they're they're pretty expensive, you know. And mm -hmm. you know, the chlorine machines, different things of that nature. Some large piece goes out. I mean, the 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 way the flow rider that's there. I mean, that's basically a jet engine sitting underneath of the thing that's blasting that water up when that thing goes down it's pretty expensive when you have to replace things so i i see i see i mean i, I see like first time guys come in and and it's like they go through their first year and then the next thing they have like a like a brand new truck or something like that and I'm, and i look at that and I, again i'm you know i'm just a I'm an old old plumber from Detroit, man. You know, I'm <laughs> I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. I'm the, I'm the I have the biggest case of mm -hmm. imposter syndrome ever. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I see these guys. I'm like, ah, oh, man. Like, uh, you know, and not to say that I couldn't buy a brand new truck or maybe even a couple of them, you know. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, you take that out of your business, like that could, you know, potentially be more. Uh, not even just like a new engine to keep your existing vessel running but man it could be two more boats you know it could in, 
you increase your cash flow, as it were. So it's I think in water, water sports, probably a lot of small business, I think overall in, in, in general, uh, people don't look at that. You know, they think they get, they look at that money and they just go, oh, well, you know, that's mine now and I can. Right. I, I, and, and I go off on a tangent. There's a lot of examples I can go through in my restaurant days when I was at Sunny's Rip at Barbecue as a CFO. I had a lot of franchisees to that point, took a lot of money out of the business. Well, what did they do? As if, if you think back in the 2007, 2008 timeframe, there's a lot of just before then, there was a lot of increases in real estate. So they took out a lot of loans tax free. They took it. They bought the boats. They bought the cars, jet skis, all those things. 2007, 2008 hits, and guess what? Now they got a higher mortgage on those buildings that they had on, on the restaurants. They couldn't afford their mortgage payments, let alone just, you know, it, it went almost overnight, 50% of their occupancy in the restaurants took time for that to come back. Unfortunately, there was several that filed for Chapter 11. You know, they it, it, it happens it, it, because they took too much out when they should have probably kept it in. They should have, if anything, put took the loans out, took a working capital loan out, to be prepared for this. But to your point, a lot of them went out and did things to buy the toys because they thought they're heroes and you know this world is never gonna stop going that direction. You gotta be prepared for the downside. You gotta have some reserves, you gotta have working capital, credit lines, something set up so that when it does happen, because it will happen, history always repeats itself. Nobody ever really looks back at what history was, but you gotta do that and say, you know, we might have a downturn. Hey, hey, we weren't expecting a pandemic to hit, my goodness, three waves that have come through ups and downs. Um, we just opened up our California parks uh, after being closed for about eight, 10 weeks. Um, but we also had working capital ready. We preserved our capital during this time frame. Unfortunately, we had to do you know, furloughs and other things of that nature, but you got to preserve the business. And it's got to be the thought, first thought process has got to be preserve the business. What can you do? What do I do to make sure that this will sustain? You want the business to keep going on, not just that first year when you're great, making some great profits that first time. Maybe it's the, it's, it's becoming part of the, the growth of the curve of things going up at the time, but they do go down and you got to be prepared for that. And if you're not prepared for it, yeah, it's going to bite you. It's, I, I have a lot of conversations with operators, and, and I know a lot of them that are like, will go right to zero, even if it's a reinvestment back into the company or, or what, what have you. But I know a couple guys that, man, every year they just like, man, they put it on the roulette table and just let it ride. And I'm just like, man, like, and I know water sports, I know this industry, you know, it's like anything can come along. And especially when, and, and this is, applies to your industry as well, too, is it's extremely seasonal. Right. You know, like so a pandemic hitting in, you know, June, I mean, this is could be 60 or 70 percent of your revenue coming during these months or for us, it, it's a hurricane. And, uh, you know, what I'm like, I'm just I, I had a huge smile on my face when you're saying that, because I'm again, man, I'm like, I, I haven't read any books or go to school for this sort of stuff. But I'm just kind of always like I, I'm a hoarder when it comes to money. It's like, well, what do, what do you do? What do you do with like any money you make? I'm like, I just sit there and hoard it and don't do anything. And, because one, a great, not, not just to preserve the business, but you never know when a great opportunity could come along and, and you want to be able to, to jump right. on that. And if you're, and if you're cash strapped and you have zero liquidity, and, and I was going to ask you about that too, um, insofar when you're, when you're talking about PE firms and going to something like a local credit union or, or bank or something like that, I think a lot of guys sort of feel that, uh, you can go to a business or go to a bank and have this like great idea. Like it's like, you know, 19, 
25 or something like that. And they're going to be like, ah, that sounds like a winner, mister. You know, (laughs) I don't think guys like understand that they want to see not even just cash flow, but they want to see existing liquidity. They want to see credit. Like they're not, you're not just selling your, your dream. You're selling yourself and that you know how to properly manage those finances. Right. They want to check. They want to make sure one, you know, if I'm going to lend you this money, can you pay me back? If you've got bad history yourself, you don't have a you don't have a history that shows that you can actually do something well. How do I know you're going to pay me back? They're going to look at everything. But fundamentally, it's the business first. And the business is not fundamental. It's just a great idea. I get so many people that have, have come to me and said, you know, I got, I got you know, I've got this park. And uh, what if we bought it and then we sold it to you later? It's like, well, how's that going to help me? I, I'm, I can turn around the park. Well, we can increase the cash flow. What do you think I'm going to do? You know, at the end of the day, but are, do you have the funds to do this? Do you understand what, do you have a vision of what it's going to take to get to that point? Do you know that, what is the guest looking for? I say this to my team all the time. You know, we need to walk in the shoes of our guests. We need to sit wherever the guests sit. We need to walk wherever the guests are walking and look at what they see. Are we explaining anything to them? You know, in, in my parks, of course, you know, are we, are you, we're trying to sell more money, but to your point, are we taking calculated risks? You know, and, that, and, I, and that's that's the key. There's a lot of risk takers out there and they want to gamble and they want to bet it on the house. And the house always wins, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, what what do you do to take calculated risks? If you take calculated risks, then we have an opportunity to grow. What is a calculated risk to me? Um, let's put in a new piece of equipment. that's actually going to make me some money or we're going to put in a new sale of some sort. We're going to add new feature um, in the state of Florida. My two parks, the water park and the, our Boca Raton location, we put in full liquor license. We had beer and wine before. Now we're going to have a full alcohol license because why? I want my you know guests to have something that they're looking for while they're on vacation or they're they're there. We're going to upgrade the food. There's more things I'm going to bring to give you there. What did it do for me? That It's a calculated risk that I went out and got a license, which I also know how to get because of being in the restaurant industry. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, I know I'm going to make more revenue off of that and I'll pay for that license pretty quick. Sure, there's liability. There's different pieces to it. You have to take you know, higher insurance and things mm-hmm. of that nature. But at the end of the day, what did I do? I probably just increased my check average. You know, Our analysis is it should do pretty good. Um, but it's a calculated risk that we're doing. We're testing things to put in. And it's not like I'm going to say, let's go full full bore on a new idea. Um, but the idea is let's think through every piece of that and let's take the right calculation to it. And then if it throws off the profit, fantastic. Now we've got more profit to pay for new attractions, new things, new ideas, um, acquiring more parks. But to the point is, and I don't think people take calculated risks. They just take risks. You know, they just throw it out there. They, it's, you know, build it and they will come. No, that's not how this works. You know, prove it. And then you'll prove your point. Is my, yeah. is my, is my when, point. when you're, um, you know, you're acquiring a business, you have to really understand how it's going to fit within your existing operation. If you just are just looking to consolidate or, act, or use it independently, I think people say, okay, yeah, this is great. It, it cash flows well. It, it's a, it's a good product. And yeah, I, I, it's a good opportunity. I'm going to take it, but they really don't know how it's really going to fit in to their, their existing business. Like one, one example of, let's say you have a, a, a water sporter boat tour company and the guy next door does ice cream sales or something. And you're like, well, I'm going to acquire it because I'm, I'm right next door to it. It just makes sense. But they don't know the ice cream business. 
Right. And now they're having to learn the restaurant industry. I see a lot of this. It's like taking leaps. They're not calculated the risk. They're not calculated risk. If, if you, let's say that it was another business like yours, you already know the industry, you know how it works, you you know how much it costs to run. That makes sense. But it's when you're going outside your comfort zone, you're having to relearn a whole entirely new skill skill set to, to run that business. I think everything it has challenges. You need to be educated and we just, just jump into it and thinking that's just going to be easy. I have a lot of respect for people in different industries. It's not like restaurants, for example, there's a lot that goes on with the restaurant industry. It's not just buying food, making it and selling it. There's a whole, I mean, especially nowadays with regulations, uh, it's just, there's so much you need to know. And there's like that, that two, three year learning curve just to get where you need to be. And do you even have the bandwidth to learn it? The bandwidth, the people, um, the vendors, uh, there's so much in vendor relationships. To your point, restaurants, even to entertainment, very similar, very similar businesses. But if you're going to go to, bad example, like a painting company versus retail, totally different things. And I I think those, if you look through history, and there's, there's some folks that have got some great ideas on how they take over businesses and tweak it, but they also hire the right people that have already been skilled in that area. Uh, when I was a franchisor um, at, at Sonny's and, and other companies, the, the issue there is, do I have someone that knows how to deal with a retail guest? I might have a lot of people that have, in a, in a franchise world, they've come out of co- big corporations, manufacturing companies. They have no idea how to deal with people. So if they don't have the skill themselves, I would have wanted them to bring in someone that had that skill that they could work through it. They might be the funny, the money person, the planner, but they couldn't deal with people. So, you know, I want to, I wanted to make sure that they had those types of individuals that could come in and we could teach them our way on how we franchise. Same with when I was with Rebounders, you know, we, we were looking for people specifically in that area. If they couldn't deal with people, guess what? They're probably going to mess up the business. That was our experience anyway with it. But with, to, to the point, you know, if you specialize in your business, then it's that much easier. You have a lot of synergy when you're going to buy food or you're going to buy product, you're going to buy equipment. You can, you know how to manage the labor a lot better. You know, when you start breaking even into from state to state, you know, from Florida, it's totally different than Texas and Texas is totally different than North Carolina. And that's different from California tremendously from California. But the, the point behind it is you've got a lot of differences, but the more you specialize, the more you're able to build upon that and make some better decisions, especially during acquisitions. So Tim, me and Greg, we did a show when we first got started. We talked about uh, branding versus uh, a a brand versus a commodity. So, so you're buying big kahunas. You're not changing Mm -hmm. the name of it, right? We're still going to not completely, not completely. It'll be a boomer's park, but yes. So, Oh, okay. So it'll be like big kahunas, a boomer's park. All All right. Gotcha. So, but some of the brand colors will start getting implemented into the park over time. I mean, it's still Hawaiian type of theme, you know, but we'll, you know, where there's basic colors of different things are, are red and blue is our main colors, but our neutrals are white, black, and gray. That'll get implemented into the park, but not taken away from the experience. Same thing we have with uh, Sahara Sam's New Jersey, but brand is a, is, is a key. Uh, and, and at the key, what, what is, why is it a key? Um, each of these parks have been run, at least the ones that we have now, separately. Previous company ran 16 separate parks. Ours are eight parks, you know, but bringing it under a brand, it, there's a couple of reasons. One, brand experience. Are you getting the same experience from park to park? Two, 
um, and it's a bigger one to me, is the ultimate value in this company. A, a consistent brand will have more value at the end of the day when you want to sell it. Um, what I've seen from sales and acquisitions of brands versus individual locations and things of that nature, you'll get more dollars per EBIT uh, of EBIT, multiple times of EBIT, I should say. So, you know, and an experience that I can share is like an individual location may only get like one to three times EBITDA, depending on your market and, and, and the type of asset you're trying to sell, a uh, company you're trying to sell. Um, if you have synergy of, let's say, a couple of these locations, maybe you'll get three to five. But a consistent brand can get maybe five to ten. Well, that's tremendous. Let's just say that it's worth a million dollars and it's very low compared to you know, what we're looking at here. But you go from a million dollar value to maybe a couple of these together to be in three to five million dollars. But if you have a consistent brand, it might be more like, you know, five million to ten million dollars in value when you sell it ultimately. So the more that you can bring to the brand in consistency, how you do things, how, how you greet guests, um, you know, how you price the types of foods, the things you have. Now you have a consistent approach. And I, and I always go back to when I, when I talk to my team, it's like, you know, you have the same experience. I lived in Orlando. Um, you know, you have the same experience at the Magic Kingdom or Epcot Center as you would at Disneyland or California Adventure in, in, in California. So you you want that same experience because now there's more value to associate it with that ultimately when you want to sell. Okay. So do me a favor. Can you, uh, and, and correct me if I'm mistaken. So you're taking sort of like a local, you're taking a local asset. So you don't want to mm -hmm. disenfranchise the existing customer base. Right. So you, when you say it takes a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of a journey there for you to, to create the, the boomers brand around big kahunas. So you're basically sort of like you're doing this in phases so you can, and so eventually you get all of your, your customers that know the boomers experience, but you're also not disenfranchising the people that know big kahunas. So you can sort of bring everybody under that umbrella. Is that why this takes, let's that you just don't change it overnight from big, big kahunas. Right. Well, you, you, right. Again, that's back to calculated risk. Is this a risk I want to tick off my guess that I, ha I currently have? The answer is no. Um, I also know what the, consumer the guest wants the team members want too for that matter is a consistent approach they don't really want to change it's been an experience oh my my goodness uh, you know big hoon has been there what 25 30 years you know and so people know who that is if you were to change a name tomorrow what did it do for us you know didn't do anything for us we just probably spent a lot of money on capital to change names signage all that other fun stuff it probably didn't need to be done, but what needed to be done is taken care of. It needed to appreciate the asset. Let's figure out what we have here with the brand, with what we have. You know, look, you can you can always paint things and 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 what is the uh, expression? You know, you can put you can put lipstick on a pig. Did you can you hear me? I've got a pee so bad. <laughs> well, I can hear everything you guys just said. <laughs> oh, we gotta leave that in, Greg. Don't edit that. <laughs> I was like, man, if he stays frozen for 10 more seconds, I'm going to run out of this room real quick. <laughs> I can I, hear I, you perfectly. I got, I got, I got, I got a question uh, for Tim. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, it obviously makes real good sense to keep the Big Kahuna's brand and then bring under boomers. I think that's got to be the way, you know, I mean, Big Kahuna has been here for 25 years, but my guess is there's situations where you had to change the brand name or, well, or thought well, of it. Ultimately. Right. Yeah. And so, 
you know, as, as we're looking to acquire, it's going to be, you know, what's iconic in the area? If it's already iconic, and, and even though there's iconic elements we would like to add in all of our parks, yeah. you know, if it's already iconic, why would you want to mess up something that's good? But how do you also incorporate in what you're doing? You're still going to bring in the food, the beverage, the things of that nature, the upgrade. You know, you're going to do a lot of things. You're going to fix the place. You're going to paint the place. You know, you're going to fix the concrete. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to trim the bushes. You're going to do a lot of different things that you, you should do. But not everyone does it when they take over. So, no, nah, I don't need to do that. I don't need to fix the bathrooms. I don't need to do these things. You guys already started. Did you guys already start that process at Big Kahuna's? Oh, oh big time. Yeah. We're, I knew we're, it. I, I drove by there after our pre-show. Uh, just happened to be in Destin. I don't live in Destin. And we drove by, and I, and I had my buddy in the car. And I was like, I drove by, and I looked at it. I go, huh? look at that. And they're like, they're like, what? I'm like, I could just see, man. Like I could see that there was things I, when I used to drive by there, I'd be like, Oh my God, man, some of that yeah. stuff looks ghastly. <laughs> and then I drove by and I could just see the improvements right away. And I was like, look at that. And like, what? I'm like, I'm going to have the CEO of that company on our show next week. <laughs> well, I, I read the first time I went there, I'm, I'm a runner. So I was staying at the courtyard by Marriott a couple miles away. So I ran by it and then I stopped and walked in front of the facility and I go, what does the guest see? You know, it's, this is real estate. I'm sorry. Con, you know, location, location, location. But does it have curb appeal? And it didn't. You know, it, it, these are the things that, you know, we've got to fix. It's like, you know, are you going to bring the guest in off the street? You want them to pay how much to come into this park? And you want them to spend how much on food? we got to start doing some of these things to fix it. You don't need $20 million rides to make things work. What you need to do is take care of something. And if you can take care of it and show the guests that you are taking care of it and you're doing the very best you can to get to that point, they're forgiving. One, guests are forgiving. But two, people see a difference. You saw a difference when you drove by. It's not done. I guarantee it. You know, there's a lot of things that we're working on that's that's going to continue all the way up until the water park completely opens. But the point is, if you do those things, guests do see it and they do notice. And at the end of the day, what is it about? They're going to start spending more. They're going to start spending more things. They're going to spend more time there. If they spend more time there, I got something else to sell you. You know, it's a business point of view. Right. But at the end of the day, that's what I need. I'm taking calculated risks all through this process. But I do have to put some money back in where my predecessor company did not do. And even the company before that didn't do it. And so the, the private equity firm that I work for is like, no, 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 we, we need to do this right. Let's fix this brand. Let's get this brand right. And to a private equity world, what do they do? They're, they're, they're buying assets, they're fixing them, then they're selling them to the next person, let them take it forward. We're about turning this around. This is a turnaround project, all eight locations. Big Kahuna's got quite a share on, it, on, on its plate right at the moment of the things it's got to fix. But we intend to do this so that it becomes that much more fun. We start taking back some of, you, you asked a little earlier on about the track. Um, you know, we don't own that. Um, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm all for you know what they're doing, but we're going to be doing more FEC too. We need to extend the operating hours well past what we're currently on of just the summer time frame. Let's say ultimately Memorial Day to Labor Day. How do I get farther and farther on both sides of those dates? How do I? Why would I want to do that? Why? Because it's going to go towards my occupancy. I still pay rent. I still have power. I still have you know fixed assets of labor there. I've got to figure out how to get more and more out of the time frame that we've got. And you know, Destin is a great market. I was there back in um, uh, back in uh, December, and you know, it's a warm market still. Cool, but you know, still a warm market. There's things you can do on the FEC side. So how do I bring more to this for my guests ultimately? But yeah, we're doing a lot to fix up the park. 
I have a follow-up question to uh, just to the the brand, you know, acquire a company and trying to re- revi- revitalize the brand by updates. At what point when you acquire a company, do you say, all right, the brand's been neglected for several years. There's a lot of bad reviews online. You know, there's going to be a process involved to show the customer. Like you said, they're forgiving. I, I totally agree with that. They are forgiving. What are some things that kind of have to do once you take over? Because you're not going to, I mean, you're right. You're not going to change the name. You're going to, you're, you got to move forward with it. But you, I mean, you said you're going to, you know, you're fixing the park up, but more on the PR side, how do you build that trust back? Because there's so many opportunities where like water sport companies, the guy, you know, he's doing it for 30 years. He cut the last five years. He's kind of let it go downhill. Now he wants to sell it. It's a great opportunity for someone to buy it. But there is a plethora of bad reviews online that you're going to have to clean up. You can't get rid of it nowadays. Um, so what's the PR side of it? I mean, yeah, if you're fixing it up and everything, what do you do? Well, obviously, it's a it's not a, a single approach. You know, there's a lot of different things. And, and frankly, if you take a step back and look at what did the previous company do overall, 30,000 feet, you know, mm-hmm. there wasn't much spent on PR. There wasn't much spent on really marketing the park. It was just it was really pushing different passes versus saying, you know, no, we've got different features, you know, and getting out and letting people know what those features are. You know, we had very little corporate events there. We are going to have a major push on corporate events. And, and granted, it, it, Destin is a very you know uh, tourist destination, um, but there's a lot of opportunities to tap into markets all around within you know a couple hundred miles. How do we bring them there? Who are we talking to? How do we get into those groups? How do we talk to the hotels? How do we get with the chambers? You know, these are all things that I've done in all so many different restaurants. You know, and and if I've given keys to the park manager. That is, you know, a, a very large operation, um, and I won't say how much, but it's a very large operation. And they don't go out to the community; they don't get involved. I, I believe that each of my park managers or restaurant managers I've ever had in my career is the mayor of that city. So, what are they doing to get out there? Who are they connecting with? Who are they talking to? How are they getting their name out there? Are they doing it through, you know, a group sales department? Are they? You know, what is it they're doing? But do it because that's the thing is, is they weren't. They were, you know, open the doors. They'll come. And guess what? Tenant starts dropping off. Well, we'll keep opening the doors. And they'll come and tenants dropping off. What are you doing to really bring them back? One, you got to have the image, right? You got to fix these things. You got to get out there. You got to let the world know you're doing these items. You got to get out like we're doing on a podcast. Um, what are we what are we doing for visibility? And that, And it doesn't always have to be, you know, a bunch of marketing. You know, it, it, um, this is not the traditional world of marketing any longer, predominantly digital. Um, I did that with my restaurants as well. There was a lot of things, even when I was back in Applebee's days, killed a lot of the outside marketing of billboards and TV and radio, because that's not really where our guests are coming from. How do you get out there in multiple ways? How do you make partnerships? You know, how do you even go in and tie in sponsorships? These are some things that we're going to do. If you know the history of Epcot Center, the way Michael Eisner and Frank Wells did it with Disney, uh, they built Epcot, a billion dollar park, basically on sponsorships. And that's how they paid for everything. That's not how we're going to pay for everything. But the point is, that's an opportunity, right, that hasn't been addressed. And if you make those relationships, we, we switched from Pepsi to Coca-Cola this past year. Why? Because there's some great marketing, great visibility with Coca-Cola that Pepsi was not doing. Um, There's a lot of reasons, but I mean, you do these things to get out in multiple ways to get your message out there. It's not just one thing you do. It's 50 things you do. And the more that you do it 
and you get your name out there, always be willing to talk about it. Just the reason why we're talking today, I'm always willing to talk about what we're doing uh, because we're doing some good stuff. And, you know, I think people need to know that, um, but never, never stop talking. It's, it's like you know, we were talking about raising capital earlier for businesses or going out the banks and so forth. Never stop talking. Just because you raise that first dollar or million dollars, never stop talking about it. Because you know what? You might need another million. You might need 10. You know, and the more you talk about it, people go, hey, that's pretty cool. A good idea. I like what you're doing. How do I get involved with this? And then it may not be the actual money you're looking for. It might be sponsorships, might be a new vendor, might be a new relationship. Um, you've got to get out and do those things if you're really going to be successful. We have to have an entrepreneurial mindset. You've got to be able to get involved in each of the markets to get to know who's the movers, the shakers in those markets. Now, I'm not a mover and shaker in Destin. I'm from Florida, but um, you know, I don't have a park in Orlando. But I also do have a good idea of what we need to do there and empower our staff to get out there almost to the point of they need to go out there. They have to be there. But that is an entrepreneur mindset. Entrepreneur mindset is also if you have a park like this, sit in the park and see what the guest looks at. If this doesn't look good to you, probably not going to look good to the guest. So those are the things that, you know, trying to get the team and it takes a bit of a culture change, right? I mean, in the past it was a corporate mindset. We've got all these parks. Uh, we're going to go in different directions. We spend money in different directions, different ways. And yeah, maybe it's a little more intimate setting with eight parks right now, but we're looking for other parks too, because we know what we believe the secret sauce will be. And it's still taking calculated risk. You know, that's what a, that's what an entrepreneur does is take calculated risks. And so if you're in a corporate mindset, you think, oh, I got all this money. I got these big checks. I can spend it. I mean, I can give you some examples of, of, of others that I've met, like looking at different parks. Oh, well, we can give you X amount of times earnings. Really? You can just throw it off the top of your cuff that, you know, you can give them three to six times earnings. Really? Have you ever looked at the numbers? Do you have an idea? Do you have a plan? What are you going to do to turn this around? I mean, part of our plan is how do we go after more upscale individuals bringing into our parks. You know, how do I provide the products that they're looking for? How do I have things for mom and dad to be as happy as the kids are, you know, and, and providing them more opportunities. But I do believe that the biggest fundamental difference is the difference of thinking like an entrepreneur, kind of a bootstrap entrepreneur, you know, pandemic has put us in that bootstrap position, but we're still spending money, you know, not frivolously, you know, we're looking at things, that will probably make us more money as we move forward. And that's what a good uh, individual that's looking at a business to buy has got to look at versus saying, you know, I'm always going to be able to raise the capital. You know, you're not. There's good times and bad times. You know, the times it's everything is great. That's when you need to be raising capital the most because you know there's going to be a downturn. You know there's going to be a bad time. And you got to be ready for it. Tim. I, 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 and man, unfortunately, I think that was probably the perfect way to end the show. <laughs> perfect timing, like you wrapped it, but I'm, I'm just, I'm dying to know because I'm a huge fan of, of Disney parks. Okay. I've read, I've read Disney U. The reason I, beyond them, just that they're super fun, you do see the efficiency. You do see the, uh, the branding. Like when you, when you're paying attention to the, the business aspect of Disney, it's like you just realize, they just fucking crush it. Like when it, I mean, on every single level, like just, I, and, and I read something in Disney U about how they uh, talked, they talked about when they train their staff and, and somebody asks where something is, they can't, the staff is not allowed to point to it because pointing is saying uh, psychologically, get away from me. And, 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 and an open palm toward where you're signifying they need to go is more welcoming and open. 
how much uh, does your background with Disney come into uh, your de- your development and your ideas at, at Boomer? Do you, do you always are you always thinking like what would Disney do? Or? Always, always. Actually, I'm bringing it up. I have team calls twice a month, you know, with my management team, a corporate team, and we talk about that. And and I, and I say that a lot. And when I was sharing the example a little earlier on, looking for parks from Florida to California, the experience is going to be very similar. Different parks. Different geographic areas, different climates, but the experience is the same. So I, I pull from that, but I also pull from restaurants. You know, I, I pull from what is the better foods people want. Disney has great foods. I mean, I can't compare to the chefs that they do there. You know, so we do everything we possibly can, beg, steer, steal, and borrow wherever we can. If we can do that through distributors, give us some great chef ideas. You know, we've come out with our Korean barbecue or Nashville hots. You know, we're, we got new pizzas we're looking at. We're looking at actually, you know, potentially partnering with a, a beer company that's uh, been affiliated with NASCAR in the past and individuals that won't say yet to who, but there's some things that we're doing, you know, and the idea here is, you know, how do you, how do you think about, and I, and I won't even just say Disney, uh, what, what will Universal do? What does SeaWorld do? What does Legoland do? What does Knoxbury Farm do? I, I talk to a lot of the theme park folks and there's a reason behind that because I want to kind of know what they're doing. You know, I, I can pull from different bits and pieces. Maybe I can't do the grand scale because I don't have that big of a checkbook to do it, but I can add some things to the parks. I can create that experience. Pandemic is a whole new world of everything that we've had to go through. But to me, I think we've really addressed it well. Um, had, you know, no incidents. I mean, I think those that are in the theme park industry don't want incidents either, right? They don't want the bad PR, but at the end of the day, they want to do the right thing to make sure as many guests can get through there. And we want to give them the things that they can do. And I, I kind of, you know, I, I, I talked to the guys too, as well in um, uh, Dave and Buster's in main event and say, you know, we're like them but we're actually on steroids. You know, we got so many more things that they don't have. We can have the food, we can have the beverage, we can have the corporate sales, we can have the attractions, we can have the slides, we can have the, you know, the go-karts in our, in our FECs. There's a lot of things that we've got in the miniature golf and so forth, but you know, what do we do and how can we make it better? But I do always go back to your point. What did Disney do? How did they do this? I mean, I was in foods, I was in finance, I was in cash control, I was in lots of pieces, and, and you get to see the whole aspect of everything that's going on, operations, you know, what you're doing, and why. And why do we do this? You know, and, and how do we retain the guests longer? It's about volume and frequency, just like a restaurant. How do I get them to spend a little bit more, stay a little bit longer? If I do that, we're successful. If I don't do that, then we'll be out of business. But that's where I also see there's a lot of opportunity because a lot of folks just don't do it. No matter if you're in water sports, attractions, we're all serving people. We're providing a great experience. We're serving people. Tim, I'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day and coming on our show and and giving a different perspective to, uh, you know, things and, and hearing it from uh, the attractions and the F- FEC level and, and how you handle things. I mean, there's so many similarities. I love talking to water park partners at, on TripShock because I learn so much from them and I get a different perspective. In fact, uh, my staff at, I had a water sport company for three years in Alabama. They took a Disney class 
that the chamber okay. was offering. It was a three day class and I had them all go through it. And, and these guys are just like, why is Greg putting us through a Disney class? We're, we're in water sports, <laughs> but it was because we're hospitality. We're a hospitality company. And, and if you ever come across those classes, the chamber, sometimes uh, Disney folks will come through and they'll offer these classes through the chamber of commerce. That's why you want to be involved in your chamber of commerce. Uh, and you can catch these things, but uh, you know, for anyone that uh, wants to learn more about boomers parks or, about yourself, uh, how can they uh, get more information? Um, two different ways. Uh, obviously, uh, you can go to boomersparks.com. You'll see all of our parks there. You'll see Big Kahunas as well in Dustin. You'll see Sahara Sam's. You'll see our boomers. You'll see our LA Speed Zone. Um, if you want to connect with me, connect with me on LinkedIn. I actually have two different LinkedIn profiles. Uh, maxed out on one, it seemed like, and uh, we opened up another one and started do pretty well on that one too. So it's Tim Murphy. CEO or Tim Murphy MBA. You're welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Um, I won't give out my email for boomers, but uh, <laughs> you, can, you can figure it out if you uh, do a little research. So, but uh, hey, go to Tim. I'll tell you what, after the show, I think MBA stands for major badass, man. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you. Thank I'll, you. I'll, I'll tell you this much, man. You, we, what you should do is let all of our audience know where to send you the check for the consultant. <laughs> because, because I feel like I need, I need to pay you after this. Well, well you, know, you know, it's funny. You know, I can put a lot of information out there and being a consultant for many years, you realize after a period of time, not everyone's going to do what they should do. You know, and that's, that's why they hire people. But they don't still don't have to follow. They try to go for just one thing that they've got to do. It's it, to do a business. It's not just one thing. It's multiple things. And and that's it's just synchronizing them together at the same time is really what you've got to work on. But uh, appreciate that. That was good. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, keep it awkward. You've been listening to the Awkward Water Sport Guys podcast. If you're in the water sport industry, this is the podcast that brings the business perspective to parasailing, jet and ski boat rentals, sailing, snorkeling, and everything else. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Be sure to sign up to our email list at watersportpodcast.com and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks again for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you have further thoughts, questions, or comments about this episode, head to our Facebook group, Watersport and Boat Tour Operators to continue the conversation. See you next time.